0: Hello. Hello. Um, you, you're in Blessington Street. Yes. Um. Um. I. Well, I was looking for for um, a date, if possible. Um. When, when is a good time?
1: You want to come now? If you want
0: to come now, you can come. Yeah, I, I it's can. I can. It's um seventy euro. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Half an hour. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you come in Blessington Street. And you have to ring me again, I
1: come out, I open it. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. It's the billion-euro sex industry which turns trafficked humans into modern-day slaves, each worth more than €200,000 a year, to ruthless pimps. Behind the cloak of internet anonymity, organized crime gangs offer women for sale and punters leave reviews of their services, rating them from their enthusiasm to their cleanliness. But who are the vice gangs and what can the Garda's newly established Organized Prostitution Investigation Unit do to target them? This week, I'm joined by Sunday World journalist Eamon Dillon, who's followed the growth of the sex trade for decades. He tells me about the pimps, the prostitutes and the punters in Ireland's booming vice trade. This is Crime World, a podcast from Sundayworld.com. Guards have taken an interesting uh, approach to prostitution over the years, certainly in the last maybe 20-odd years we have been working in crime journalism. There's been quite a few vice units opened, closed again, opened, closed again. But nonetheless, this time around, um, the new guard vice unit has been opened as a direct result of the involvement of organised crime into prostitution. So this is a new, um, certainly a new approach to it. Obviously, the situation has become concerning enough uh, for an actual full bureau to be set up to try and tackle it and, and garner intelligence out of it. So sort of what kind of money are we talking about in the vice trade in Ireland and who are these foreign largely Organised crime gangs who are involved. It's a it's a fairly disparate
0: group um, in terms of a lot of it is based around ethnicities and different nationalities. So I mean, you, you would have a strong Chinese presence, like in the vice trade in Ireland. You would have, you know, um, different European groups, you know, Kosovan Albanians who might be of Romanian nationality. Um, you have Russian-speaking Lithuanians who have their own separate group, and they're split in two as well. Um, you have the Irish people still involved. There's a lot of Brazilian operators uh, working away. Um, there's other say they would be probably Spanish citizens who are originally, you know, South Americans who are working in the trade as well. And it's 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 become one of these things that some of the organised crimes do as a sideline because they have the resources to do it. They have the manpower. Plus, it's also something that it's um, something that they demand. It's something that uh, if. I, over the years, I mean, there was one small village in Cavan and I often wondered why there was seemed to be always eight prostitutes advertised in the one area and a couple of years later I think my question was answered when we found out there was a series of grow houses in the area so basically you had a, a bunch of criminals of, again, varying ages who had excess cash and this is how they spent some of their money mm. so presumably their bosses were raking it back in by, you know, the fellows were, I suppose, uh, you know, using the services uh, and, and, that, and that's that's what it is. I mean, it's I mean a lot of them advertise everything from you know uh, 50 euro an hour to 200 euro an hour again you can you can you can see by some of the ads the, eth- the the different ethnicities that are involved and you'll probably find that the 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 kind of the higher charging ones are probably more likely to be earning better money for themselves and that' You know the women and men who are at the fifty euro an hour or sorry fifty euro for whatever twenty or thirty minutes are probably at the very much at the bottom level and probably the ones at the most at the mercy of the gangs some you know who, who use an awful lot of psychological pressure and coercion as opposed to you know physical coercion, which does go on as well mm. um i mean potentially this whatever it is eight hundred seven hundred prostitutes advertised every single day on various websites and of that I would imagine something like 5% or 6% could possibly be independent you know so called independent workers who are keeping all their own money and then everything else uh, you know who's everyone else who's advertising is everything in between from you know entirely coerced women who aren't seeing a penny and who don't know, even know necessarily what country they are to, to people who are say you know for economic reasons turning to in acting as a prostitute for a number of weeks to make money. And we've seen that in the past as well, where, you know, you'll have women from different countries who say, oh, I'm going to Ireland, I'm going to do a six-week stint and come back. But, you know, they often find themselves at the hands of, you know, uh, some of these pimp managers. They're relentless in their perse- per- mm. pursuit of profit. And there's no way they're going to let these women rest. They don't care about, you know, the situations they're, they're, they face themselves in. They certainly have no care for their safety. Mm. uh you know i mean they they will they will control they're what seen
1: co- as a commodity the women they are seen as a same commodity they're smuggled they're used and they're sold in the same way drugs are
0: yeah and there was there was one gang the ganusu gang who they were mentioned in a trial in romania uh who they 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 had trafficked at least 10 women to ireland that's what the ones they had evidence of and one of the striking things was they all they all bore kind of um Barcode tattoos, which was a way of showing that they belonged to this particular group, so the idea that you know you were commodified and mm. you had a barcode tattooed onion probably didn't work necessarily as a barcode, but certainly as a symbol that you were a commodity was was was
1: very really very apparent. Branding a human being, I suppose. To bring it right back to basics, this is a supply and a demand situation in the same way as illegal drugs are. Um, the supply wouldn't be there if there wasn't the demand. So you're saying there's eight hundred. There's possibly up to the services of eight hundred different women being advertised across Ireland. Are you talking north and south, or just in the Republic?
0: No, that would be north. Day? And, that would be north and south. Mm. Yeah, and and it does fluctuate. I mean, it did drop off at the beginning of the pandemic, down to about four hundred. Uh, but it, it's it's gone back to normal levels at this stage. So and, and again, like you know, it, it can change over the year. But I mean. I mean, at the very height of the Celtic Tiger, it was well over a thousand, mm. um, and it seems to have settled back like into this kind of seven, eight hundred sort of area. Which just, you know, if you if you try and work out, I mean, it's a minimum, it's a multi-million euro business. Uh, I mean, and that's just say on one particular website, the one that would have been originally set up by convicted Peter Macoma, former RAC officer, or R, sorry, RUC officer, and I mean like that's it's just a money making machine mm. um and they they have vast control of that advertising business in Ireland i mean it it is illegal in Ireland to advertise prostitution services as we saw with the whole saga of the in dublin magazine mm. you know whatever nearly 20 years ago, I think, at this stage. So, I mean, th- I mean, and there was, what, fines of half a million doled out Remind to the publishers there. us about there.
1: that. That's quite a while ago.
0: Yeah, it's a long time ago now. I mean, in Dublin was was kind of, how would you describe it? It was a kind of a, you know, it was a, an events magazine yeah. based in Dublin. You know, it was always a little bit cutting edge. A lot of well-known journalists kind of cut their teeth there starting off. Um, you got to do stuff there that you probably wouldn't get a chance to do in other, in other publications. But at the time, it you know, it, it was it was straddling that grey line between what was illegal and what wasn't illegal, and they were they were kind of the main they were the main platform for advertising prostitution services, uh, which obviously kept the whole thing going. Uh, and then the law was changed. I forget exactly the date, but the law was changed, and, and um, advertising prostitution became illegal. And I think it was kind of ignored for a while, and then eventually the authorities came down hard and the publisher was was fined something like half a million, I remember, at the time, which is a huge amount of money. So it basically it moved. That kind of happened, I and guess. And
1: overnight it meant that... The reach between the prostitute and the customer was gone. What did I presume? Like all criminal industry, it bounced back fairly quickly and found a new way of reaching out to its customers.
0: Well, I think there was there was a basically leaflets are turning up in sex shop sex shops within like you know a couple of days of in mm. Dublin being put out of business. I mean, then it would have been you know totally overtaken then by the internet. Um, I mean, in the early two thousands, I mean the first the first kind of, you know, websites, they would have used things like, you know, blogger posts and things like that to advertise. And it was, you know, it was a, a kind of a, a patchwork quilt of different mm-hmm. ways of advertising. But gradually, um, the one, the, the website Escorts Ireland, run by McCormick, that kind of became dominant. Um, I remember speaking to one guy, you know, who <laughs> he was kind of complaining that he couldn't set up an advertising website because... The other crowds kept using, um, you know, bot attacks to put them out of business. That every time they they were up online, they were suddenly they just were were just they couldn't operate. Nobody could could upload whatever they had, or sorry, no, one could, they could, they couldn't download uh, and see what mm. was on his website because they were just under constant attack from all these these botnets. So, so they were
1: th- protecting their, their they were protecting their their, their um, turf, their, their, their digital turf. turf yeah, yeah. yeah. So McCormick, because he was one of the most prolific um, and I think his partner remains that way in that business. Certainly somebody we've both come up across um, in the past. I'll tell you a little story about his partner, the Beast, Morgan, in a while. But just bring us back to to McCormack and Morgan and where they came from and what kind of money they started making in, in prostitution.
0: Well, I suppose these are the guys... Um well, they weren't necessarily the first people that the, the Sunday were writing about, but they'd been working as security in the brothels and working as bagmen carrying the money for Tom Condy um, a fellow from the west of Ireland who, you know, kind of set up fully commercial, um, fully commercial brothels in south South Central Dublin, obviously catering to the the well paid middle class men that were, who generally use these services. Uh, and they, they eventually went out on their own. They saw they saw the money being made, and you know they were the muscle. So you know why did they have to you know take second place? So they they went on their own as things as things kind of increased in the nineties as the economy picked up. Um, the demand just continued to grow, and they continued to you know they were, they they already had the knowledge in how to grow the business. Um, I mean it, it's 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 funny because. You know, Martin Morgan, you know, he, he was, like, he was, he's always described himself as a builder. Um, but I, I got talking to his sister one time, and we went to London to talk to her. Uh, and like, she was just she just wanted to say, you know, that in her view, her brother was a total scumbag. And she explained that he got into it into in 1990, that she said it was the people he was hanging out with, that he'd been working as a bouncer and then had become, you know, a security man in some of the brothels, and then went from there. Uh, and it's, its it just shows you though, like you know the guys these guys saw an opportunity, and I mean, you know Martin Morgan he was caught it was given in evidence in court like he was he was in the process of picking out a prostitute, and this is in 1996, I think it was, in a, in a, a brothel on on, on Bachelor's Walk in city centre Dublin. So here you have a guy you know who still you know using women sexually as well as exploiting them to sell sex mm. uh, you know and it's just beggars belief like you know about mm. what kind of motivates you know these guys you know obviously apart from the money but some of the, you know and they they are greedy in that sense uh, in that they they're really protective of 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 their business you know as you've seen through say the the, the kind of the the attacks on other digital platforms that have mm. tried to set up and you know so much so that Escorts Ireland is really the only the only one that still works in Ireland you know there's some of the other websites that are kind of international um, international selling websites that allow, you know allow a certain amount of miscellaneous ads appear
1: he's obviously one of those characters way back in the day when I started off in journalism. Um, I was certainly very young and naive, but I put myself up to do an investigation into the uh, vice trade in Dublin at one point. And they tended to have static brothels in those days that probably we all from the various newspapers had busted at one time, but they were still there. Whether they owned the buildings or had long-term leases on them, I think it's become a bit more fluid now and they're doing short-term renting uh, leases and that kind of thing. But... um, There was a particular brothel in the Leeson Street area that Morgan was running and um, I either answered an advertisement for a job or I went along looking for a job and was interviewed by him. Now, naively, when I think about it now, went into this building, went into a bedroom with him, uh, with a recording device, which was all I had with me really that would have... uh, protect me. What was I going to do? Hit him on the head with a a uh, recorder. But anyway, he. Um, I'd say I just looked wrong, to be honest with you. You know, I certainly didn't probably look like an addict. I had dressed as appropriately as I could. I had <laughs> tried to dress kind of really casually and stuff. But anyway, um, he did offer me a job, Eamon. He offered me two grand a week at that point, which was a lot more than I was earning in my journalism. But he copped he was as cute as a fox. He actually, at one point, my bag was beside him on the, the the bed. He just asked me to walk up and down the room and what hours could I work. But he at one point sort of felt my bag and said, you're not a journalist or something, are you? I went, oh God, no, 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 not at all. But he caught me. He was cute as a fox and he was very polite and let me walk out the door. Now, I know now that that was not the way he'd have handled... Any of the other girls working for him, he had a very bad reputation for being violent, aggressive, um, and generally threatening. Doesn't he?
0: And no, he does. And I mean, like, I mean, I my encounter with him was well. Luckily enough, it wasn't in a bedroom, um, but it was on one of the days when he was coming out of the high court, and uh, we just took the opportunity. Had spotted him and had a photographer with me. And just, you know, rocked up to him and said, hello, Martin, you know, I'm, you know, I'm with the Sunday World. And he said, oh, that must be terrible for you. You know, and he was joking about it. And I said, well, would you be interested in talking to us? And he said, I'd rather talk to snakes, he hissed. So, you know, he was, his brown teeth, you know, he mm. just looked so unhealthy and, you know, white. And he just, you know, and unfortunately, I, 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 because I'd spoken to his sister recently who had branded him a scumbag, I said, well, what did you think of that? And he says, oh, I read that, it was very good. And then, unfortunately, there was a local, I don't know, chap hanging around and says, Do you want me to do him for you? Uh, at which point, that was the end of the interview as, as <laughs> Morgan headed off. So, I mean, doorstepping someone in the CCJ is always, always kind of a bit a tricky. Oh,
1: a bit hairy. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, in recent times, where is Morgan? Where is his partner, Peter McCormick? And how do they fit in with these more violent, organised crime gangs, uh, foreign gangs that are currently taking over the show? Here in Ireland now.
0: Well, I mean, I mean those two in particular. I mean, they pretty much have. They don't appear to be themselves operating in Ireland. I mean, they, they're, if they are operating in Ireland, they're doing it from a distance. And I mean, certainly McCormick's website uh, has since. You know, it, it was it was registered in the UK. I remember we went and checked out some of the addresses um, in in Chester in that area, uh, and and now it's relocated. It's 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 run by a company called Lazarus Trading, which is based in in Spain. I think the last time I looked, I think the servers were in Russia. So I mean, you know, the whole thing is is keeping it out of you know the jurisdiction. I mean, it, certainly McCormick's point of from his point of view, he doesn't need to be uh, involved directly in the trade anymore. I mean, they they just run the website and it's it's making you know. Again, it's mm-hmm. making, without a doubt, it's making millions. There was on one occasion, I like I contacted him as if I was a prostitute as well and set up an ad using, obviously, Did photographs of someone else. No, it was oh, no. all done through email. Yeah. And it, it was a lady involved and she was very helpful. Um, and they, they they were kind of, you know, in different messaging platforms and stuff, they'll say, oh, we take it very seriously that there's no one trafficked on our website. And they look for things like, you know, when you when you go on to, the, to register with them to put up an ad, they look for, you know, your passport and all this kind of stuff. But if you actually just put in fake details, like which I did, mm-hmm. it's just, you, you sail through. And then the it was only then after I got about 18 phone calls to my advertised number uh, that I realized that some of the texts were actually from were from the company that was running the website saying, we need to get a photograph of you with today's newspaper. So all they were interested in, was, was making sure I wasn't either a rival or somebody setting up to, to steal from other prostitutes or a guard or a journalist or whatever mm-hmm. it was. But again, they copped it. And, I, you know, I kind of emailed them back and said, oh, well, I want a refund then and stuff like that, you know, just mm-hmm. for a bit of fun. But, I mean, I didn't get my, my money back. Well, it wasn't my money anyway, no. luckily enough. But it just showed <laughs> you, I mean, all, all this idea that they're there and they're protecting women was absolute rubbish mm-hmm, and... Mm. And it, and again, I was surprised. I couldn't believe how quickly it took off. And I'm talking about 18 phone calls in like an hour and a half or two hours. Now, some of them were repeat calls. There was also some creepy texts, mm. you know, from guys who thought they were texting a woman. Um, you know, the, the photographs we got were of, of stock shots were basically a middle-aged woman and you could basically see a little bit of leg and a black skirt. And that seemed to be enough, you know. And it gave the impression I was German. And there was some extremely weird requests came in straight away
1: because you are german or I just because I think so yeah because some middle of the
0: was it was actually in german like okay. uh, asking do i do a certain thing and it was in german so i didn't actually look it up and not sure what it meant but it's just the level of weirdness i guess out there is mm-hmm. is every time you think you've 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 hit rock bottom you just find a whole new level
1: yeah i kind of find actually when you're reporting on a lot of that this vice and sex for sale stuff and stuff you can only do a little bit of it i find it you know there's certain elements of of journalism that you can just dip into and you have to come out of it because you start feeling the whole world is social misfits and that there's something wrong with you because you don't you are it's just so alien to you, isn't it some yeah. of the commentary and the way they treat women and
0: it, it's it's incredibly grim mm-hmm. and I mean like some of the the brothels I've been into like over the years, I mean, okay, I mean, once I was in a place... If your of, wife
1: heard you saying that now, she might have to, well, to it, qualify I'm, that. So I'll take her place here yeah, and say, please qualify yourself, Eamon, on that. Okay,
0: on different occasions, you know, in the course of my work, we've, I and other journalists from the Sunday world have gone into brothels and you make your excuses and leave. And you're going in there for a particular reason to, you know, to make sure it is what they, they're claiming to be. You know, you have to get the proof in case someone tries to sue you because of our def- defamation laws in this country. So, I mean, I've, I've gone into like w- one time it was a, a beautiful house in the K Club and it was being used as a brothel. I went in and there was, there was two women there, beautiful, you know, marble staircases, you know. But this was immediately after the Celtic Tiger crash Um which all of a sudden threw up some, you know, interesting properties. And and that was part of the reason for doing the story. But then on other occasions, I remember looking at one that was was run in Cork by Anthony Lenan and it was a back street. And it was this incredibly dingy back of a house with a big metal door. And it was horrific. It was an absolute, you know, it was a disgusting place. And you're, you're in there with your recording camera, and I'm just thinking, I want to get out of here quick. Like, you know, and it's just, you know, and there's women who are in those places for eight, nine, ten hours a day you know, they don't know who's coming through that door. They actually have no choice. I mean, it turns out in Lenan's case, um, he was actually filming. Um, and part of it it wasn't so much to get you know compromising material on anyone. It was to make sure the women weren't ripping him off. And they were told they had to kind of count out the money in front of the hidden camera so he could see what was going on. Mm-hmm. So it was that level of control. and and that's that's what you see a lot of the time now. sometimes you know you'll see someone you'll see something advertised, you ring the number. And somebody speaks to you with good good standard of English, but then when you go to the brothel, nobody there has that standard of English. So you're ringing a central control, mm. and we've seen that a number of times. Where it was, you know, the 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 operation that was running in Limerick was there's three guys running that, and they had a, it was like a taxi office. They had all they had a big whiteboard up with who's where. Someone's in Athlone, someone's in Tiptown, someone's in you know Limerick City, and they had like you know a timetable behind it, marked off what time the client was coming at, and it was run you know, and there was like. 15, 16 phones. Uh, there was evidence given when Martin Morgan um, was raided uh, they, they gathered up a load of phones and they were going off for about three days before the guards could get to them all. I mean, they, you know, the guards had all these phones presumably in evidence bags and they were ringing away. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it's in that sense, it's a, it's, it's a big business. But, like, there was one lady who she made a statement and she was working with TJ Carroll, yeah. or not Worth, she was working for his network. You've experienced that group. And, and she talked about how, like, she was never threatened, but there was a lot of psychological games, and she always felt, you know, that there was, there was something malign behind all this. And when she complained about the fact that she was expected to work in a ground floor flat in Drogheda, where the front door was broken and couldn't be locked. You kind of, you, you know, you kind of imagine, like, the, the level of constant anxiety and fear that these women, who to some extent have chosen to do this, you know, through economic necessity. I mean, you can make the argument they've, they've they've chosen to do it, but they're kind of stuck here for at least a period of time till they go back, you know, to, you know, Spain or wherever it was they were from. It, it just shows you the kind of, the, the depravity. Mm. But certainly, I mean, I find over the years there's been one or two kind of, you, you know, you get a whistleblower or somebody in an organization and I have found them to be the most manipulative and kind of two-faced people that I've come across. I mean, You know, you're dealing with some, you know, out-and-out, you know, low-life, Kind of criminals or you know, mm. guys who have had, you know, really a really bad record for violence or you know or cruelty. But yeah, there's something and they're not as manipulative. Yeah. It's the emotional, yeah. it's kind of it's like the dark emotional intelligence mm-hmm. that's needed to be a successful pimp where you lead people on.
1: Like Anthony Lennan, and he has a conviction for for his his criminality in relation to vice. He was a particularly nasty character. TJ Carroll, who you've described, he was from the Midlands. He was running um, a huge, big operation across Ireland and making an awful lot of money out of it. When he was eventually brought to book and he went on trial in Wales with um, a woman he was having an affair with, um, there was evidence given that he was basically paying these women in condoms.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, T.J. Carroll is. I mean, he's a great example of you know how the system works. Uh, he had a farm machinery business doing repairs in Carlo, and he also worked as a bouncer again, <clears throat> and got into the trade that way. And he originally had another he he, he had another uh, partner who's I can't tell you the name that that he worked mm. with another fella. And when he was being interviewed in in various guard interviews after his first setup was raided and he was caught for that, like he complained that this partner of his was the whole time jumping on the women, and uh, you know you know it just wasn't business like you know and. Uh, and he kind of justified, you know, like you know, I'm a professional brothel keeper. You know, I'm 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 kind of moral and upright compared to this business partner who kept jumping on the women. Oh, you could call it rape if you want. I suppose you don't see it that way. Um, and he suggested then there was one brothel that was shut in Tralee. and then and because a woman was raped in the location, according to him. It was because the brothel wasn't open, so therefore, you know, the vice trade, you know, is a service to stop women getting raped. So, so I mean, that's the kind of they will the always justify, it, yes. you know, kind of twisted mm-hmm. logic that goes on. But his his like his setup was was just incredible. Um, like he thought, then after he was busted the first time, he'd move to Wales so that he could set it up from there, and um, and then he'd be outside of the jurisdiction of, of the guards. But in fact, he made a bigger mistake in one sense that. I mean, the guards were able to roll up his operation fairly quick, but he also had a a brothel working in in Northern Ireland. And the fact that he was working from Wales suddenly put him into the category of being a trafficker. Because even sending a text telling someone to get a bus from Waterford to Enniskillen, you're now a trafficker. Right. And that's why he got kind of quite a lengthy sentence in the UK that he did. It was initially six years, and then it became a ten years on the basis of he didn't pay back the money, which... I'm not sure he had access to at that stage, but even the partner that he worked with, she was a woman who came over here from um, Africa South and Africa. had been working for the Beast Morgan. So it kind of shows you the the tight knit nature of of you know this group that it's not really that many involved.
1: But that's right, Shamelia Clark was her name, and I actually went to Wales to interview her in prison um, as she was facing charges herself in relation to it. She was having an affair, as she called it, with with T J Carroll. Her, his family, she said, weren't too happy about it. She claims that she had started working here for Morgan, that she left his employ and went working for TJ Carroll, had started off working as a prostitute, but then went into a relationship with him and started answering the phones. She was essentially running the show for him. Um, now, look, you know, we can take what she, what she said with a grain of salt, some of it, But she was able to throw a bit of light on the kind of money that was being made at the time by him. And a lot of those women were charging €300 for an hour session. They were working around the clock. They were a network of foreign girls. She always claimed that they had... She denied trafficking and said that they were willingly working for that. But evidence proved differently. In actual fact, interestingly, over the course of his trial it turned out that TJ Carroll was actually going to or sending representatives to a place called Benin City in Nigeria where he was buying girls. And that is a place that is known for voodoo rituals where it's kind of a market of women um, from Nigeria and its neighbouring countries. Girls from the, the countryside are brought in to this market where they were, they're sold into into international prostitution and they're sold through fear and through these voodoo rituals where they mix the blood of a chicken and a pubic hair and they set them on their journey. They have to pay back 10,000 but they vow during these rituals to uh, work really hard and to work long hours and to pay back the money they have to pay. And obviously it's all... Um, cashing in on their lack of education, their lack of opportunities and the fact that they're impoverished. But he was bringing women in from there. And um, so it was a very sophisticated operation he was running. And again, the kind of a guy like you're talking about, like Morgan, um, like Lenan, that just had a very twisted opinion of women and what they should do and how they should work for him. And, um, you know, they just, they are sort of, I don't use this word very regularly, but they're real scum, those those kind of people that get involved in that. These women are a commodity to them. We have estimates that they could be worth a lot of money to them. I mean, what is a trafficked woman worth working in this country in those Well, there was bottles? a figure
0: in in one of the statements from, um, I think there was about 17 women that were, gave statements to the guards with um, T.J. Carroll's investigation. And one of them was one of these um, women from West Africa who'd been trafficked to Ireland. And her story was how you know, her mother sent her as a young teenager to work in the city to an auntie, in inverted commas, an auntie. Um, and she found herself working in a bar basically as a prostitute. And then one of the men there you know, uh, became her, her boyfriend. And he said, I'll bring you to Europe and we'll get you a proper job as a waitress. So she went along thinking this was great, um, spent three days in a hostel in Dublin City Centre. And next minute, she was picked up by uh, another African woman who said that she owed €50,000 and she had to work it off. And she spent five months in different brothels in, in Ireland. She wasn't, sure wh- she wasn't sure where she was. She didn't know whether she'd be arrested. Um, and I think it was another, eventually, it was another one of the prostitutes, one of the old women um had said to her, you know, you can walk out of here. And she had managed to kind of either scrape or put together about 400 euro, and she'd gone on the bus. I think at that stage, she was in Dundalk or Drogheda, and she simply, she, she got on the bus and came down and approached the guards. And I think uh, one of the agencies involved and one of the NGOs working and work with um, prostitutes got involved. And I mean, that's just, you know, it's a horrific story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the only, you know, I mean, they're, they're not, it's not the, that's not the norm either. But it is a significant kind of minority of some of the women who are forced to work here as prostitutes. I mean, certainly there was one lady I spoke to a couple of years back, uh, and she used the name Anna. Um, and I met her with her Irish, her, her Irish boyfriend that she since met, and she had uh, her story was, has actually turned into a BBC drama. And she had been basically walking down the street in London and was bundled into a car. She was drugged she found herself flown into Ireland and was told she had to work as a prostitute. And uh, she was, what, 21 or something, or 20 at that stage. Uh, and they knew her mother's name. They knew where she was from. Uh, uh, this particular group uh, w- would go on to be, they were, they were prosecuted in both Sweden and in Northern Ireland for, for running prostitution uh, rings. And, you know, they got four or five years. They were a family-based group. But at one point, she describes how the guards raided a brothel in Galway and there was three prostitutes in there. And they were, they were the ones who were arrested by the guards at the time, which we can come back to about the approach and mm-hmm. in terms of the new unit. Um, and they were brought before the courts. And they were charged with, you know, running a brothel. You know, uh, you know, it was relatively minor charges that were brought against them. And they came out of the district court. And there's the family who were pimping them, waiting for them. Mm-hmm. And she's just, it was the most bizarre story. And, you know, it was kind of, it's sort of hard to believe that that goes
1: on in this yeah, country. and isn't I mean, it?
0: and to be honest, it was only for the fact that she had a certificate from the National Crime Agency that said that you know she's a, she was a victim in this, and you know the certificate was that she wouldn't be prosecuted for any crimes that she may have committed while she was being victimized. Mm. Um, I, you know, but I mean, that, and she was involved then in in a campaign in the north to bring in the so-called Nordic model that we have now in the south as well, where it shifts the criminality onto the sex buyer. So the person who's paying for sex is the person who, you know, who's committing the crime as opposed to the women who are in the brothel. Um, And there's a whole debate and it's some, you know, very dishonest characters, I think, in that debate involved as well. You know, I mean, I've done stories showing how, you know, McCormick's website have been involved in funding groups that very much are trying to mainstream it so that all of a sudden, you know, at one point in the Celtic Tiger, it was almost becoming acceptable not just to have strippers at your stag, bo- stag do but to have prostitutes that would perform sexual acts, you know, for the fellas on demand. Mm. Uh, you know, so I mean,
1: and a heavy uh, lob- lobby group in y- behind that. Yeah, to-
0: and and it is, and there's and there's because of the money that's there, and because you know some some politicians are conflicted by it. I mean, certainly there was a cross there was a cross party, um, doll committee that agreed to adopt the Nordic model, and I think the. the and went even further, and you know, and suggesting that you know phones used uh, that you know phones that are used and to advertise prostitution should be allowed to be seized. And, you know, they went much further than you know uh, what was expected. Now, it wasn't all used; There wasn't a lot of that stuff wasn't brought into legislation, but it did adopt it. I remember speaking to the likes of uh, Thomas Pringle, who'd be a left-wing TD, and Patrick um, McLaughlin, Sinn Féin uh, TD at the time, Dennis a senator TD now again, and they, they were both they took it very seriously. And you had John McGuinness, I think, was the chair of it. So, you know, Fina Gaylor. So, I mean, um, so, you know, I I think it it was a cross party. And I mean, I remember Pringle telling me, you know, he says, you know, I started out walking into this, you know, very much from the typical, you know, the classic left-wing point of view that, you know, it's a woman's body and it's a woman's right to choose. But, you know, all the trade unions kind of came out saying, you know, this isn't actually work. I mean, there's the whole, you know, there's you know, if you use the word sex worker or prostitute, you're, you're putting yourself on one side of the argument or another. I guarantee there'll be a Twitter pylon, you know, mm. after this podcast go out on one or both of us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of the fact that, you know, different, there's different, even academics that seem to be conflicted about it. You know, mm. where people are coming out saying this isn't true, that isn't true. I mean, UCD recently brought out one there in December showing the extent of the, the 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 gangs involved in the trade. I mean, you, you. I mean, I read it and I thought it was an entirely disinterested um, report that was done from a very academic point of view. They just took what evidence was there. They weren't coming from you know a moral thing saying oh you know mm-hmm. you know sex is wrong or anything like that. They just took a very dispassionate, disinterested viewpoint, very academic, and and the conclusion was that it's overwhelmingly it, it involves you know organized crime, and certainly the experience in some countries. And again, this is where we're going to get hammers on mm-hmm. Twitter over this. But like the experience shows that if you legalize or decriminalize you know um, the, the market for prost- for prostitutes, it actually increases demand. It makes it okay, well, there's nothing wrong about it. So I'll now use a prostitute whereas I never had before. And then with that, the illegal side grows because you're still going to have the demand for slightly younger girls. So if you decriminalize, you know, prostitution say everyone has to be twenty one and you've got to pay tax, there's going to be a certain amount of People say, "Well, if you want an eighteen-year-old, you know, and it's going to be cheaper, you can, you know, you can come to our place instead." So, if if you if you legalize it, you basically grow the market, you increase demand, and you increase the 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 opportunity for criminal gangs to get involved. And when you think about it, for them, it's a it's a soft it's a soft soft option. Like you know, there's none of these you know. Uh, crazy cartel people with machine guns trying to kill you. No, having said that, I mean, there's four or five people dead in recent times because of the activities of the vice gangs in Ireland. There's, there's one in Cavan. Um, there's two Romanians who are currently fighting extradition back to Romania where they're going to go on trial for the murder of Virgil Busa, who was killed here in Navan. He, he jumped from a third-story window trying to get away because of his, you know, brothel operation mm-hmm. was in conflict with another crowd. Um, I mean, you have the original... Uh, a lady, I think, Belinda Pereira in, in the mid-90s that was killed. So, I yes. mean, it's not a victimless, no, it's you know, not criminality either.
1: And wasn't there a, a lady killed and beheaded in, in Kilkenny?
0: Yeah, and and that was one that TJ Carroll, he, he never, like, he had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. But he, he he certainly gave the idea that he did have something to do with it and the same thing could happen to you. Like, he, he didn't disabuse women who thought that he had some involvement in her murder. that mm. turned out to be a boyfriend at the time.
1: Now, let's put a monetary figure on it because... Um, essentially an acceptable figure of what a woman a trafficked woman is worth for a year's work and to these organized crime gangs is somewhere over the 200,000 figure possibly 250,000 and depending on how hard they are worked could be up to 400,000 i mean that is for one female working in um in ireland you know for a year um so that's a lot of money at stake um Obviously, these gangs, because they're running as gangs, they have more than one. They can have anything 10 to 20 women operating around the country. They move them around. This is modern criminality, and this is how we come to the vice unit and the kind of areas that they are going to have to work with. Gone are the days when there'd be a long-term lease on a premises in the city centre or that there'd be somebody would buy it and use it as a brothel. For quite some time now, They're movable feasts, these brothels. They open and close. And as you say, everything is controlled online by the the advertisement where where things are. So tell me a little bit about how that has changed and where we're at now with it uh, regarding it moving around the country and the girls being moved constantly.
0: Well, uh, part of this comes from this idea of keeping things fresh for the punters so that it's it's not the same prostitute in your local town day in, day out. And I mean, like they're, they're moved on a weekly basis, um, you know, most of the time, they'll just get a text, tell them, get the bus, go to such and such a den go to this address. Sometimes they're collected. I know in the past, like, we've been watching, waiting for a bag man and seeing, you know, a driver turn up and collect two women and bring them to another an, an, another uh, vice den, another brothel. Um, that's one part of it. Another part, like, it, it keeps them, to some extent, uh, uh, you know, it allows them to be controlled because they're not kind of sure where they are. They don't get to set down routes. They won't necessarily say... Um, you know, form a relationship with with one of the punters that might, you know, help them escape or whatever or get out of the state that they're in. It, but, um, it, I mean, certainly it is controlled. But, I mean, in terms of, I mean, originally, I mean, you would had, had kind of, at the bottom level, you would have had people walking the street. Um, a lot of them would have been drug-addicted women. Uh, you know, it was extremely dangerous, very violent, apart from, you know, the cold and all the rest. And, I mean, that would have, you know, gone all the way back to the, you know, derived from the days of Monto and, you know, from, you know, the turn of the century when, you know, Dublin was Europe's biggest brothel because there was 18 British army barracks here. And so, I mean, we've always had this with us. I mean, like it is the oldest profession. And I mean, the Legion of Mary managed to close down Monto in 1926, but it never went away. I mean, if you look for it, there's there's court cases in the 1940s and and so on. I mean, uh, um, but like to go back to kind of the, the modern day, I mean, the idea of moving things around just makes sense, you know, that if you have a brothel, you're wide open. Like, I mean, the guards are probably the least of your worries. You're you're worried about, I mean, there would have been a time you would have been worried about paramilitaries coming in and taxing your operation. Now you're worried about kind of increasingly younger and more violent gangs uh, coming in and taxing your operation. So it depends how far you want to go. So if you're moving all the time, it's easier. I mean, certainly with the collapse of the Celtic Tiger, I think I mentioned it earlier, like you know that, you know some of the properties involved were fantastic, you know, and you know it went quite upscale for a little while nearly, uh, and it, like it, there was nothing backstreet about it. But the, one of the key things to remember, and again, you know, there's been different cab operations that have kind of highlighted this that if you have a two bed apartment that you, you can you're getting 600 euro for in in Limerick if you're if you're supplying that to somebody running a, a vice then, you'll get 2400 a week. So, you know, it, it, you can quadruple your rent. And that's what some people were clearly doing. You know, and they were turning a blind eye to who their tenants were, knowing well who they were. And they were getting a month's rent every week. And so they they figure, well, I'll do it for three, four months. And if I get away with it, you know, well and good, it's money in my pocket. If the guards arrive, it's the first time I've done it. I didn't know. You know, I won't do it again. And, you know, you, you've, you've done all right out of it. So there was a little bit of that. Then you had some people uh, who... Part of their job for the crime gangs or f- for the vice gangs is to actually source apartments and it's to find places because they constantly need to move. If you do have, you know, a landlord that doesn't want a, a sex for sale operation in his property or certainly neighbors, um, you know, and, and it's fairly obvious what's going on, you know, once there, you know once a, a property has, is being used in that way, I mean, there's a constant stream of people, you know, knocking in. This fella's walking around with mobile phones up to the ears, looking around for street names and numbers. So I mean, it's 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 funny in one way when you spot it, but it's sad and uh, obviously in another. I mean, one example of that was um, a fella called Tom Lyons. Um, he he was done. Uh, he, he actually ended up in a relationship with a Brazilian prostitute, uh, and you know, this is a guy who had a you know, uh, you know, he had an engineering career behind him, and. Part Of his job, then, like you know, he started getting into renting apartments and sourcing it and felt he was in a relationship with this woman who, you know, even after she was done, was still working away. And I mean, you know, we've wrote, wrote about her, and again, I think you know the, the story about uh, Alicida Walsh as well, who's something similar, and it just, it just. You know, She's they're, they're a Brazilian kind of the...
1: granny who was recently evicted. Well, she was actually forced out of her home in Limerick eh, because the Criminal Assets Bureau took a case against her. Proceeds of crime case against her. She had an apartment down in Limerick, but she was sourcing um, apartments for a long time and then, you know, renting them on. She was making f- quite a lot of money. When I actually looked at the amount of money she was, say, for example, renting an apartment for two thousand, but she was renting it on then for six. Like, that's a lot of money a month, and she had two or three of them going. And even in Lyons' cases, uh, I mean, he was using his position in his
0: engineering company to provide references for mm. the prostitutes that were going to be working in, in, in these apartments. Mm. So, mm. you know, it, it, but it's just, again, it's because of the money, you know, and you wonder about, you know, the motivation. 180
1: million a year, the vice trade was, uh, was estimated at being worth at the end of the uh, the Celtic Tiger years, and I think if you follow organized crime, we seem to be back to around that stage. I think there was they, you know, like everything else, they suffered from the recession, but they're they're back up around there, and obviously the uh, obviously COVID and the pandemic hasn't affected it. If they're back to full capacity again now, um, what is the law around this? So we know that it is illegal to advertise sex for sale and it's illegal to buy sex for sale. So what about brothel keeping and other aspects of it?
0: Yeah, a lot of the older laws um, are still on the books as well as the newer version. So, I mean, it's still illegal to be a prostitute. Um, and it's, a brothel is defined as if there's two prostitutes in the one building. And I mean, generally you'll find they, 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 they almost never work on their own for simply for safety reasons. Now, apart from one recent... Um, one recent kind of case: uh, the guards now they're not; they're, they're more about trying to protect the women. Uh, there was one in in Kildare, um, I think, about a year and a half ago, where two women, one of whom was actually pregnant at the time, were uh, you know they were working as prostitutes in a house in in the town, and they were both given six month sentences at the this district court for that. And I mean, I, I, as far as I know, that went to appeal. They were, they, I mean, uh, they you know they were they were given a um, leave you know leave to appeal straight mm-hmm. away. Um, I'm not sure exactly what happened in the end, but I mean that was that was one being cited as you know the the, the Nordic model isn't working. But that was actually a case brought against two women under the old laws. Um, now certainly the, the chief superintendent uh, Derek Daly, who's in, you know running the kind of the new prostitution unit, he's saying quite the opposite. He's saying that they're going to go after the organisers. And there was one case recently involving a group of fellas, um, and and their job was going out and breaking into uh, brothels. And attacking the women involved, the women and men. Uh, there's one one fella I, I was up for his hearing in, in Roscommon Circuit Court a fella fellow called Samuel Pop, and he was like a I mean you swear to God like this guy looked like he was twelve like he was totally baby faced and his job was to ring the doorbell make the appointment he go in and then the two other blokes were coming in after them. Now one of them actually died in prison, uh, one of his co accused, and there, there was three of them. So there's a, a the thing was then there was. There was a second. There was around that same time. There was another um, robbery in in of, of a brothel. Two women working together in the North Inner City, and the guards involved there worked with them, and they had known them. They were they were community guards. were in contact with them. Said, look, if you have any problems, talk to us. And they said we've been robbed, and it, the guards were able to track them down. And it was the same. It was the same three fellas, and mm. it, it was it was said in that court case that their job. They were didn't say who exactly for, but their job was to go into tax. You know, the, the prostitutes working, and certainly the one in, in Roscommon, it was a, a, a fella, um, a, a man and a woman, you know, were both working as prostitutes in the same thing. I mean, they had a knife held to their throat. They had their passport. One of them had their passport taken. They were warned, you know, like, to get out. Um, their laptops were taken. Their phones were taken. It was all about trying to get intel on, you know, an opposition vice opera, you know, vice mm-hmm. network. And, and they were quite terrified about it, uh, you know, especially the whole idea that the, the passport is a genuine passport was taken. So it just shows you the level of, you know, the undercurrent of violence that's there and menace mm-hmm. that's there. And, and certainly kind of, I think the law is there now, you know, to make it illegal to buy sex is aimed at trying to, you know, to degrade the, the level of demand so that it'll be less attractive for criminal gangs to get involved. Uh, if there's less women involved, there's less prostitutes involved, including men, uh, you know, there'll be less opportunity for the gangs, and the ones that are operating, it'll be easier to find them because mm-hmm. they will be more concentrated. So that's, I, I guess, that's part of the kind of the, the thinking behind it. Um, but I mean, the proof is in uh, uh, the proof is in the eating, I guess, yeah. and the pudding. Like you know, I mean, this is what this is what they said they're going to do. I mean, I certainly spoke to Chief um, Superintendent Daly, and he was certainly making all the right noises. I mean, mm. he, he was. Uh, he, there was that one. Um, uh, it was kind of a, a conference. And involved two former sex workers, prostitutes um, who who were you know who've gone through and they're campaigning you know looking for the Nordic model to be implemented in both in the UK as well, uh, and and they're, they're talking about kind of you know they were talking about kind of the whole effects that it has the long term you know effect on their mental health that mm. you know even though you know is it, one of the women I spoke to she talked about how you know she felt she was making her choice at the time and and a lot of women now who are working as prostitutes might feel the same way but to some extent, they're enthralled to pimps or they have, a, you know, uh, an addiction issue mm. or, you know, they've been damaged by sexual abuse themselves from an early age. And, you know, and, and none of these issues have been dealt with. I mean, I, th- I think that's why kind of the cross-party, you know, the Committee and, you know, the trade unions look into the whole area, kind of said, look, this isn't, it's not legitimate work. I mean, you know, obviously a woman has the right to choose. Mm. She has the right to do what she wants with her body. But, you know, generally, you know, selling sex, it isn't you know it's never done as a as a choice i mean there's some behavioral scientists suggest that you know certain times of the year in you know in the us there's an upsurge in the number of women who work as prostitutes maybe just for a couple of days around independence day or whatever because they get a few extra quid and guess the school books then in september or whatever it is and therefore you know it's, there's an economic incentive and it's not always coercion but you know to some extent that's, mm-hmm. that's it's it's a different thing i mean there's a lot of myths about you know, on both sides of the argument, I mean, there was, all, there was always a story that there's, you know, whenever there's a, there's a big sporting event, there's an influx of prostitutes into the area. That, that doesn't really happen. I mean, like certainly in Dublin, it wouldn't need to happen. There's already enough here.
1: So, mm. I mean. There was an interesting point you made about, you know, I suppose the whole allowing it happen, uh, that argument. But um, I have to say, I, look, we've seen certain things that can't be unseen. And one of them for me was in the Philippines in a place called, Angeles City, City of Angels, where it is pretty much an area of the Philippines in Manila where it is allowed and it's a huge sort of military place so you have people flying in from Australia, ex-military ex-vets coming in from Hong Kong, doing a job out there a couple of years ago and um there was an Irish guy yet again, an RUC former RUC officer, a guy called Richard Agnew, who had a, a was running one of the biggest clubs in the area and had set up a sort of a, 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 a he had set up a kind of a chamber of commerce in in Angulus City. He was heading it up, and they were providing the the employers were providing money for the police. For them to have uniforms, they'd provided them with a, a cabin up the top and the bottom of this street so as they were comfortable when they were just keeping an eye. And really, they were keeping an eye to make sure that the tourists were okay and not the girls. But um anyway, it was all very legal. It was all bizarre being in it as a woman, being there, looking at all this going on. But um there was one evening i was sitting having a drink waiting for for somebody to meet somebody and uh i was just looking at the world go by and everything and there was this advertisement it was all over the place it was basically um you know like click and collect essentially or you know a takeaway and it was women were delivered to the hotels or the rooms of the men they just had to make a phone call and this bloody bus went past outside on the street with the women in the back. They were being delivered, like pizzas, to these hotels. And there was one girl, and they were all so young. I mean, the Asians are so pretty and so young-looking. And um, a lot of these girls, again, were coming in from the countryside, lack of education. Parents thought they were going for domestic jobs in the city. But there was one girl just sitting in the back of it, and she just had her two hands up onto the window looking out. And here she was being delivered, to a hotel room, to some man who she had no idea who they were or what was going to happen to her. And it was chilling and horrible and dreadful. And the image of it will always stay with me. And that's the kind of thing that'll happen when it's accepted, that it goes up a grade. Because I always find a lot of people who, we won't go too far into this for the Twitter pylon, but I find a lot of people who use those services, well, It's a myth that they're looking for anything like just normal sex. They're usually looking for something outside the norms. They're usually people who can't form relationships and they're looking for something that is not acceptable within a relationship. And that's why they go and pay for sex. So all that sort of stuff is going on in that undercover way. You allow that to be acceptable and and you don't know where you're you're going.
0: But a lot of it is, I mean, there's been research done and most users of prostitution services only go to a prostitute once or twice a year. And on average, they're they're average suburban dads. They're people like me. They're, Mm, you know, mm. fellas in a a, a job, middle-aged, you know, who've probably got kids and a wife at home and do this twice a year, whether it's on the golf away weekend or the rugby weekend away or, Mm. you know, or the weekend, the missus away shopping or whatever. You know, that's, it's, it's it's you know, it's a, a quick thrill or whatever it is. I mean, and then without a doubt, then you do have your... You're you're people who are attracted to the darker side who gravitate mm. to that and they're looking for something that you know they can't get anywhere else.
1: Mm-hmm. It is what it is, as you say, it's the one of the oldest trades, certainly in Dublin and uh, in a lot of parts of the world. It, it goes back and it and it is always going to be there. It's just how we police it. Um, Eamon Dillon, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola.